Kids Rock. There's any kids that want to go down with, um, I think Shelly is doing Kids Rock tonight. Thank you, band. You're awesome. Um, Andrew Gossaman is our guest. Oh. You'd all like to stand and greet those around you. That would be wonderful. <laughs> is here tonight. Um, there are business that he does have some business cards laying on some of the tables. He comes to us from Howard City. Like I said earlier, he is a friend of Dave's. Um, he has felt a calling to speak for um, him who has spoke to him. So, welcome Andrew. for this opportunity. Um, as uh, was previously said, um, it's kind of interesting the way the Lord works. You know, um, I don't know if you uh, are familiar, and I don't remember the name of the song, but there is a song that I think came out sometime in, in the 80s or early 90s, and it kind of talked about how God um, weaves a tapestry of our lives and that the dark threads are as needful um, in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. And there's definitely a little bit of both in the pattern that he planned for me. Um, and we'll get into that as, as the message progresses tonight. But I, um, it's just interesting how Lord opened up this opportunity because I met a a wonderful man by the name of uh, Dave Delrymple, who then introduced me to uh, um, Jenny, who introduced me to her father, Dave, and I'm here tonight as a result of that. So, just interesting how um, God works, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, I'm going to read um, John chapter 9 this evening, so if you have your Bibles um, and would like to follow along I'll be reading John chapter 9 and then we'll open in prayer and begin and uh, this is Jesus speaking of Jesus here it says as he went along 
He saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened, that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no man can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam, this word meaning sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind. And now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. And this whole chapter is pretty good, but I'm just going to skip... Um, down a few verses because we'll be here for a while if I read the whole thing. But I would encourage you to go back on your own time and read this whole chapter because it's it's an amazing chapter, um, as is the whole book. But uh, I would just encourage that. So I'm going to skip down. Um, if you know the story, you know that the man was eventually cast out of the uh, synagogue. His parents were brought in. They said, is this the man? They said, yes, he's our son and he was blind, but now he sees. And so then they kick him out. And it's just so um, so like Jesus. It says in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have seen him, and in fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Heavenly Father, we ask that in these next few minutes, that you would open our hearts to receive that which you have for us to receive. Lord, I pray that you would continue to work in my heart throughout this evening so that I would be a holy and spotless vessel, not because of works of righteousness which I have done, but according to your mercy and because of your Son's merit, Jesus Christ. And now we commit this few minutes to him who alone is worthy, our one and only risen Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. So we see in John chapter 9 
a, uh, it's a great story. And I just see a lot in this passage of Scripture. The first thing that jumps out at me is the fact that um, the, the disciples had an assumption about this man who was born blind. Their assumption was that he was blind because of his sin or because of his parents' sin. Now, of course, we know that the world is a sinful place. We know that when Adam and Eve decided to go their own way, they brought sin upon the human race as a whole. But we also know that God allows certain things to happen to work His will. And I guess, from what I can understand, there was a common belief among Jews in that time that if someone was afflicted physically, that it was because of something they directly did to cause that. And Jesus said, no. This man is the way he is to bring me glory. And so Jesus heals him there. There's a couple things I want to talk about. First of all, in the first thing Jesus does is he makes some mud, puts it on the man's eyes. And I don't know about you, but I would probably say, you know, I... I just got put on a clean tunic today. Just got just got these clean clothes on, and I'm already a beggar. It's as bad it's, it's bad enough that I'm a beggar, and now you're putting mud on me. You know, that would be going through my mind. But but anyway, I don't know what was going through this man's mind. But then Jesus said, "Go and wash." And I want to ask you a question and challenge you with a question tonight. If Jesus told you to go and wash. Would you do it? See, this man was blind when he came in. When he went, when he came across Jesus, he was blind. And I don't want to be too dogmatic about this, but I wonder if he had chosen not to go wash in that pool, the pool of Siloam, where Jesus told him to go, would he have stayed blind? If he had walked away and said, enough is enough, and had, had asked somebody to get him home so he could wash that mud off, would he, would he have stayed blind? Now, I don't know if that's the case, but Jesus gave him a very direct command. And so, Jesus, being one who spoke with authority, this man listened and obeyed, and he was healed. And the second thing I want to bring out is that this man who was with them, he'd been blind from birth. The text makes a point of telling us that. And all the Pharisees can think about is that he was healed on the Sabbath. Who cares if this guy was a beggar and now, now he can sit and look you in the eye for the first time in his life. You know, he, he, um, he, he it's the Sabbath. So, totally uncalled for apparently and there was another instance which I think is even a little more hilarious when God heals the lame man on the Sabbath and says pick up your bed and walk and they said why are you walking around with your bed (laughs) they were more concerned with the fact that he was walking around with his bed than that this man who had been lame for years and years and years was walking and praising God for it 
And so those are just a couple observations that I would make. And now I'm going to talk in the context of personal application to the journey that God has led me on. I was, I um, just turned 30 this year, so that was that was kind of an interesting milestone for me. Um, and my and my parents have actually, or some of my family has actually pointed out, um, kind of the uh, good irony that the Lord has really prompted me to begin. Um, my formal ministry this year and Jesus began his ministry when he was 30. So I don't know if there's really any significance to that, but I thought that was kind of interesting. Anyway, I was born in May of 1979 and May is a great month to be born. I mean, I mean, it's halfway, it's basically halfway between uh, my birth, it's, you know, when I was a kid I loved the fact that there was basically half a year before my birthday uh, before Christmas, and then half a year from Christmas to my birthday. So, you know, I, I got presents, like, every six months. It was a good thing. And, you know, it's really a great um, great thing. They have prayed for me every few years. Um, and uh, it's just it's a great thing to be, be born on, on that time of year. Um, the, there was one small problem, though. I was supposed to be born in August. So I was born three months early, and my parents actually went on vacation for the for the final time before they became parents. And I guess I decided I wanted to join the party. So I came into the world on Sunday, May 27, 1979. My mom was sitting in church, and she finally realized she was in labor. Um, looking back, she thinks she was in labor for quite a while. But being that it was her first one. And being that it was three months early, she didn't uh, have any inclination at first about what was going on. So um, about two years later, uh, I hadn't developed in some crucial areas. I wasn't walking. I wasn't sitting up. Um, I was talking up a storm. My mom said I said hello at six months. <laughs> so and I, I, I've, I've talked very young, and I haven't shut up since. Um, and my parents will tell you that that's a mixed blessing. Um, but I'm just very grateful that God gave me clear speech with, with all of the, the limitations he gave me. He, he gave me clear speech and uh, now he's asking me to use it for him and I'm just thankful to be here to do that. When I was almost five years old, my great-grandfather died and I don't have a lot of recollections of this, but my mom told me that I asked her where my grandfather was. Was he in heaven or was he in hell? And my mom said, well, she didn't know whether he had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So she couldn't answer that question one way or the other. Well, that got me thinking about my personal destiny. And I trusted Christ in my living room in April of 1984 and that was the best decision that I ever made. Now I'd like to be able to tell you that once I did that my life was rosy, I never had any difficulties, everything worked out completely and I never have any struggles or discouragement. But since I'm human, you know that's not true. I, as I said, I 
I became a Christian when I was almost five. I trusted Christ. I was glad that I was going to heaven. I knew where I was going. I knew I would spend eternity because Jesus paid for my sins. But unfortunately, for the next nine years, I made a mistake that I would urge you not to make. I spent nine years arguing with God. I kept saying to God, if you had given me a healthy body, if you had given me, um, you know, if, if, if you had just let me be born a little later, not, not early like I was, then I would be able to serve you. But because you stuck me in this wheelchair, because I'm trapped, I'm so limited in how I can serve you. I don't think I thought I couldn't serve him. I just think I thought, I'm severely limited. I'm not even going to try a lot of times to serve him. And I really got to a low point when I was 13 years old. My baby brother died at three months old. Um, he was my mom's healthiest baby today. He was her biggest baby at that point, over eight pounds. He was um, born really close. He was born really close to his due date. Um, and for my mom, who had had five babies prematurely, that was, you know, everything was going right and. Uh, she fed him one morning and put him down for a nap and he never woke up. And I remember after that having conversations with my mom and sobbing in her arms and saying, Mom, why did God take my healthy baby brother and leave me here because I'm completely useless? There's no reason for me to be here. All I am is a burden. I can't, I can't do anything by myself. Why would God leave me here? And and I, I spent about three or four months in a major depression. And, and I'm just so thankful that I wasn't physically able to kill myself. Because I might have. I don't, I don't think I could say that dogmatically. But I do know that it was as close to being suicidal as I ever have gotten. And as I ever hoped to get. But after God led me out of that, about a year later, He uh, brought me to a conference where they talked about the ten unchangeables of life. One of those is the way you're made physically. And as the speaker was outlining these ten things, the one that jumped out at me was, like I said, the way you're made physically. And I realized, he said, you know, you need to, you need to thank God for the way He made you because He doesn't make mistakes. And I realized I had never done that. I realized I had always held it against God the way He made me. I would always made excuses. I would always wished to be different. And I know for most of us there's usually something we wish was different. But for me it was a major problem. And I just remember that day. I was 14 years old. I remember that day. Uh, Jesus broke through and He said, Andrew, I don't need to change you on the outside to use you. I only need to change you on the inside. And you, you know, if you're willing to be used of me, just sit back and watch me work. And I'll do great things. And I remember that day. And that day I told God, I said, God, my life is yours and whatever you want me to do, I'll do. And wherever you want me to go, I'll, I'll tell people about you and what you've done for me. Have I been completely faithful with that? No. 
But God is faithful even when I'm not. He forgives me when I fail Him. And He's opening up doors like this one to share with you what God has done in my life. And as we look back at this blind man, we realize a couple things. Number one, this blind man didn't do anything specifically to become blind. Just like sometimes when, when, you know, when, I, when I was frustrated, it's easy to say, what, what did I ever do to deserve to be like this? And, you know, in moments of frustration, I'm sure some of my family have wondered why they deserve to have a brother or a son. You know, my dad, I was my dad's oldest son, and he was probably thinking about how he was going to be able to play baseball with me and, and teach me to play football and all those great things that fathers are supposed to teach sons and many of those things I couldn't do. So I'm sure it ran through his mind, Lord, what are you teaching me here? What did I do to deserve this? But Jesus is saying about this blind man, he didn't do anything. But I'm going to show my glory. And he healed that man. And so... Some of you may be wondering if he showed his glory by healing that blind man, why doesn't he show his glory by healing you? And I think that's a good question. It's one that I've been faced with a couple specific times. I've had people say that if I had enough faith I could be healed. That if I was right with God then God would heal me. But the Bible says that we're dust. From dust we came and to dust we will return. So, I know that God can heal me and I can tell you right now, the moment my wheelchair gets in the way of my ministry, it will be gone. I happen to believe firmly that that will be probably the day when I kneel before the Lord and confess Him as Lord to the glory of God and the Father in glory someday. And the fact that the first time I'll be able to kneel will be before my Lord and Master, that's so exciting. Um, does that mean that I don't never have struggles? No. I've had a really rough couple of years. I've, I've talked with my friends Dave and Jenny about that a little bit. Trying to, to find a job after college and uh, trying to find an employer that would believe that I could could be a benefit to their organization. And I still am not working full-time. That's been a, a goal of mine and a desire of mine. But I, I hit upon something about a year ago. It's still taking a while to sink in. I still don't get it sometimes. But I've come up to the realization that if God does not want me to have that full-time job, in a normal workplace, there's nothing I can do to make it happen. And if he wants me to be available for ministry like this, more so because I'm not working full-time, then I need to be ready and see where this ride takes me. I'm very excited. My website, which is on my card, is coming out. Um, hopefully will be online today or tomorrow, Monday at the latest. And I'm just looking for more opportunities to travel and spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And also to encourage those who believe in Christ. And 
I just think about this blind man, you know? Like I said, if he had stayed where he was and not gone to that pool, he could be just a blind man with mud in his eyes. But because he did what Jesus asked him to do, Jesus was able to heal him. Now, could Jesus have said the words and healed him that way? Yes. But he probably knew something about where that person was in their heart and what they needed to go through to get to the point of trusting Him. You know, God's great at that. We, we like to think that we know more than God. I mean, many people in the Scriptures did that. King Saul certainly did that repeatedly. David did that on occasion. Um, any number of people that you can think of in the Bible. Moses. Moses was a classic example. Um, he argued with God verbally. And, uh, you know, I look at that story and I think, wow, he had guts. <laughs> but, but I do the same thing. I argue with God on occasion myself. So, and I, and I guess, and the, the, set, the first time I was approached about God, praying to God for healing, I remember crying out to God for the next three days and being depressed and saying, God, why am I not healed? It opened old wounds. And it was like God led me to John chapter 9 and showed me that His ways are not my ways and that He is working His will in every situation. And for me, I know that I have had more impact on people than I would if I was walking. And I also firmly believe that I'm closer to God today as a result of my captivity, if you will, than I would be if I was free to run. Because you know what? My thought is, and I could be wrong, but my thought is, if I could run, I would run the other way. There's an old song that says, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace, Lord, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to Thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And when I think about that song, I can think about my disability because I'm a captive audience for God. You know, before my brothers come and get me out of bed or um, even today when my brother moved me from my manual chair where I, I can't push myself around but I can use it to get into other people's houses and put me in my electric chair or when they go to get me up in the morning, before that I'm pretty helpless. And sometimes when I'm waiting for my brothers, uh, usually I'm yelling and screaming and saying, why aren't you getting me up? But sometimes I'm smart enough to spend extra time in prayer while I'm waiting for them to get me up. Sometimes while I'm waiting for my brother to pick me up from work, I'm spending extra time with the guys of the mission, teaching them and encouraging them in the things of the Lord. So, the fact that I'm so limited allows me to have a better focus on the things of God. 
Does that mean I don't struggle? No. The job thing's been a real struggle for me. I, I long to be a provider as a man. To have a wife and a family. And that's another struggle. I've had a couple girls that I was very seriously interested about. But as soon as they found out I was interested, they kind of turned and ran the other way. That's not an easy thing to go through. But I have to keep believing that when the right one comes along and she doesn't run, then I'll know she's the right one. And in that way, I'm probably going to be better able to discern who that person is. And so I can even look at the positives in that. Um, And even working to get this ministry off the ground, I really wanted to be careful that it wasn't about me, that it was about Him. And my, my question to you, Jesus asked that man to wipe the mud off his eyes. He put mud on his eyes. And maybe the things that God asks us to do are not in glamorous packages. Maybe there's mud on your eyes that you need to wipe off. Maybe there's something that God is calling you to do and you want to do everything but that thing. I was there. It took me a while to fully surrender to ministry because how am I going to provide of enough challenges in that area without factoring in going into a ministry where I may or may not make a decent living. But Jesus said to me last year, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor store away in barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. So my challenge to you, first of all, have you met the Master? Do you know Jesus Christ personally? The Bible says in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes not before to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And you can't understand anything else I'm saying unless you understand that Jesus Christ is is the only one that makes life worth living. There are things that might temporarily... I mean, I know I sometimes feel like I could use a couple more zeros in my paycheck. Especially when I think of my my long-term goals. I always tell my mom, I need to find a better source of income so that when I do find a wife, she'll have a good shopping budget. Because I I know that that's kind of a requirement. Uh, it goes with the territory. So those are that's one of the things I've thought about. You know, and I want to be... You know, I grew up in a household with 11 children. I'm the oldest of 11. And I believe firmly that children are a treasure. And I'm praying even now that God would bless me in the future with a house full of my own children. And they're not cheap. And they're hard work. But they're worth it. Because you know, children are one of the few things in Scripture that God directly says are a gift from Him. There's a lot of implied gifts, but 
There's only a few that are mentioned by name. And children are one of them. So they're very important to me. Mothers are important to me. You know, one of the biggest things under attack right now in our country is motherhood. People, you know, my mom has been a stay-at-home mom for almost her whole adult life. She got married when she was 18, had me when she was 19, and she's been a mom ever since. And yet, people have made fun of my mom for the choice that she made. People think we're crazy sometimes. And some of them, you know, they they do it good-naturedly, but some of them literally think that. And I think that's so sad. And as a man, I want to be a man that a woman can say, I know that He'll take care of me and allow me to be a mom. That's, that's the kind of man I want to be. You know, and I'm going to close with this. Especially to the men. We live in a very unisex culture. We live in a culture that says, anything you can do, I can do better. And there is certainly a degree of that. But God made male and female. He made them in their own special way for their own special purpose. And He calls them to their own roles and there is nothing whatsoever to be ashamed of about that. What we need to be ashamed of is when we look at the Scriptures that God has laid out for the family and we totally disregard them. Or we think that they're cultural, old and archaic. You know something? God created you. So He might have a thing or two to say about what He wants you to do with your life. And when He healed this blind man, and this man did what He said, Jesus didn't just leave it at physical healing. He came to him and He said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Talking about Himself. Talking about Him, the Son of God, who was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And when that man believed in his heart, Jesus forgave his sins and gave him a brand new life. So for those of you who have not accepted Jesus Christ, I urge you to do so tonight. If you have any questions about that, I'll be more than happy to answer them. This is the most important decision you will ever make in your life. And for those of you who know Him, are you living for Him? You know, there's a dangerous mentality out there among Christians today. They kind of are looking for the return of Christ and we should eagerly anticipate it. But they're kind of taking on the, if we can just hang on and ride out this tough time and, and, and hide from this darkness, then we'll be delivered. And Jesus will take us home and all our trials will be over. And believe me, I'm looking forward to that time. I'm looking forward to the time when I can step into my new six foot four body and uh, run a four-minute mile and play some football and all those other sports I've missed out on through my life. But you know what? We live in a dark time. 
And this is not the time to put our lights under a bushel. This is the time to shine even brighter so that when the devil tries to claim the hearts of, and minds of men that God has soldiers ready to do battle, to help in allowing God to claim those minds. Because you know what? The devil's already lost. God's already won. The time is nearing an end. Jesus even said in this passage, Today we must do the work, for the night is coming when no man can work. That's why I'm here, because I'm doing the work that God called me to. And if there is something that He's calling you to and you're resisting, I urge you to give up the fight. Because He's going to hound you and hound you until you give in. And the Bible is very clear that only one side wins. So you need to make a choice today who you will serve. I don't know how this message is going to apply to you as individuals, but I urge you to personally think about how God wants to use you. Maybe about how He already is. And apply yourself to godliness. And I think some of us are afraid of godliness because the Bible says, Paul said in, in 1 Timothy, that all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You know, we get upset when people call us a name. I talked uh, about when my mom has been ridiculed, and, and that is hard. But there are people, there are more people actually, that die for the sake of God, the gospel today around the world than there ever have been. And my dad, he gets the voice of the martyrs email. I don't know if any of you get it. But they all have, all the people that are martyred for the gospel have one thing in common. They refuse to keep their mouth shut. And I'm here to tell you today, I refuse to keep my mouth shut. And if there ever comes a time, and I think it's coming fast, when preaching the gospel is outlawed, then I will be in prison. Because God called me to preach and to preach the truth. Do not shy away from it. We need to be different from the world. We need to come out from among them and be separate. We need to value marriage. We need to realize that it's a lifelong covenant. We need to value our children and realize that they're blessings, not commodities. And we need to love those who don't agree with us. God calls certain things sin and sometimes we do too and that's not bad. But our treatment of the people who practice those is usually not great. For instance, God is not pleased with homosexuality. But I have friends that are homosexual and I love them. And I'm praying for them that God would intercede on their behalf. Because, you know what? 
is more important than mocking them or making them feel degraded is making sure that they know that there's a God who loves them who made them the way he made them and wants to deliver them from sin we all have a choice we can live life in a way where we are just getting by I've been there or we can live life under the power and influence of the Holy Spirit fully yielded to Him and watch what happens as a result. And I encourage you, if you are living just to get by, recommit yourself to live for Jesus Christ and watch what He does because I serve a God who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ever ask or think. And as I close, I want you to think as I do this song, one of my favorite songs, that the things we do, good or bad, will impact the next generation and possibly generations to come. So what type of example are you leaving? I know as an older brother, it can be very convicting sometimes that what comes out of my mouth will inevitably come out of my brother's mouths. Sometimes it's not so good. And I'm reminded again that I need to get in touch with the vine, Jesus Christ. And it's not about a pattern of living necessarily as much as it's about a personal relationship. God's not interested in where you go to church. He's not interested in how many times a day you pray. But He's interested in having a personal relationship with you. He hung on the cross in agony and then rose again the third day so that He could have a personal relationship with us, even though we weren't worth it. We weren't worthy. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, that while we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And when He was on the cross, I was on His mind. And as you listen to the words of these songs, just think about the potential if everyone in this room purposed to impact the world for Christ. We're pilgrims on the journey of the narrow road and those who've gone before us line the way cheering on the faithful Encouraging the weary, their lives a stirring testament to God's sustaining grace. Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run the race not only for the prize, but as those who've gone before us, let us leave to those behind us the hair 
knowledge of faithfulness pass on through godly life. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe. And the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. Now, after all, our hopes and dreams have come and gone, and our children sift through all we've left behind. May the clues that they uncover and the memories they discover become the light that leads them to the road we each must find. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. <clears throat> may the footprints that we leave <clears throat> Lead them to believe. And the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. Maria's cousin, you said? Okay. I don't know if any of you know Robin Maria Busk. Um, they do worship here occasionally. We'll see. 